0: Glad that you're here. I want to start this morning with, um, by introducing an old friend of sorts. This Bible right here. This Bible was the, really the first Bible that I ever had as an, uh, an adult. I'm going to say adult. Um, and it was in junior high when I first received it. But it was a Bible that one morning in junior high, we all came down to the breakfast table. My siblings and I came down to the breakfast table. And we each had a Bible sitting at our place. And um, inside the Bible, my parents had written a note. This is what it said. Dear Bobby, as you grow, I hope you will use this as your guide. For if you do, you will never go astray. Love, mom and dad. That's something they said then. And it was perfect timing for me because it was something that said, this book's important. And it's really exciting for me this morning Uh, My job in preaching today is to talk about the role of Scripture in the life of a disciple. That's what we're going to talk about today, the role of Scripture in the life of a disciple. And if you weren't with us last week, let me just pause and kind of say what we're doing. Last week, we started a seven-week sermon series on discipleship, and we are asking lots of questions about what a disciple is, what they look like. And if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to go back you can go to our media resources and you can find the sermon from last week and listen to it. But we were talking about what is discipleship? What is a disciple? And then like, even though it's not defined anywhere, we kind of went out there and said, I wonder what a mature disciple looks like. All the while admitting that discipleship is a lifelong process. We're just, it's a continual lifelong process that we're engaged in. But how do we know we've arrived maybe at some place where we're mature what does that disciple look like? Where are we? How do we compare? Those kinds of things we looked at last week. And as we did that, I talked about discipleship. One definition that I kind of like of discipleship is that discipleship involves training a person to think and feel and do the things that Christ called us to do, to do the things that Christian does. And that's what we're going to continue to lean into in the coming weeks as we take on these different topics. But today we're talking about the role of Scripture in the life of a disciple. And where I'd like to go today is I would like to talk about really the the ultimate for us, we talked about last week as a disciple, is to become Christ-like. And, you know, we talked about how St. Paul said, imitate me, I'm imitating Christ. The ultimate is to imitate Christ. So the first thing I want to talk about um, this morning is... What was Jesus's interaction with scripture? What did he do with that? And I want to talk about maybe functionally what scripture does for us as disciples. And then finally, I want to talk about how we experience something dynamic in scripture. That's where we're headed today. And the beginning place, as I said, is if Jesus is our ultimate model, if he's the teacher and the rabbi and all these things, he's the one that we're trying to learn his teachings, but also his way of life. What did he do with Scripture? And the beginning place for that is, to, I think, if you start to look at it, Jesus is like intimate with Scripture all the way through his life. And you can see this from the start, right? He's age 12. We read about this in, in the second chapter of Luke. And there's a high holy day. There's a big caravan of them that come from Galilee. They go into Jerusalem. And they've done this stuff for the, holiday, for the high holy day. And they're heading back. And they're a day into the trip, and then Mary's like to Joseph, hey, you've seen Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, no, I thought you saw him. And then they go ask all the relatives, and he's not there. And they have to turn around and do a whole day's journey back to Jerusalem to try to find Jesus, because he's not anywhere in this caravan. And I wonder what that was like. I don't remember exactly how big Jerusalem is at the time, but it's big. And I imagine they're going around saying, we've lost our 12-year-old son. Has anybody seen him? At some point, somebody says, well, there is this kid down at the temple right now that's engaging all the scholars, talking about Scripture and theology and all these things. Any chance that could be your son? And they go down there and they find Jesus. And I love the way Scripture talks about what Mary says at this moment, right? Because she says, this is the Revised Standard Version. She says, look... Your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Now, I know Mary's a saint, but I got to think it was a lot more animated than that. It was a lot more severe than we've been looking for you with great anxiety. Let's just let the record show that we, ne- we have no other um, r- record of Jesus ever doing something out of line whatsoever for the rest of his teenager years. So I'm imagining it's a little more um, beefy than what we ended up with in the passage. But but Jesus is in the temple, talking scripture, talking theology. And he says to, to his parents, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? This is what I'm doing. So we see from a very early age how passionate he is about it, how he's engaging it. And then we move forward, as scripture does, to when Jesus starts his public ministry. And one of the very first things that happens, he gets baptized and the Spirit takes him out into the desert where he meets the tempter, and the tempter begins to tempt him. And all of these temptations are going to be ways of twisting Scripture, really. But the first one is the tempter comes to Jesus, who's maybe this is two weeks on. He's out there 40 days. I don't know. And says, look at all these rocks. Wouldn't it be yummy to change these into bread? And Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy 8, says, you're not to live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He refutes him. He quotes back to him a passage of Scripture. And the tempter is not done. The tempter then gives him this second temptation and takes him up to this high place and says, look, why don't you jump? Because we know, quotes his own passage, and says, we know that the angels are going to catch you. And Jesus now quoting from Deuteronomy 6 says, it's not right to test God. Like, like don't do that. He quotes, back, he quotes back to him a passage from Deuteronomy and puts him down. And the final thing, the tempter doesn't give up. It's the third temptation. He takes him to a high place. He looks at everything that's out there and says, look, you can have all of this. All you need to do is basically sell your soul to me. Bow down and worship me. And... Jesus, again, quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and says, we're only to worship God, is what he says in that. And each of these examples, it's interesting to look at it because the tempter is twisting Scripture in some way. And Jesus is putting down that temptation, whatever it is, by quoting Scripture back to him in a forceful way, saying, no, Blah, and quotes it from him. And it's interesting, too, to look at where these passages come from, because if you've been following me, the first one was from Deuteronomy 8, and the next two are from Deuteronomy 6. And sometimes some of the scholars will say, I wonder if Jesus was doing his own study of Deuteronomy at the time. I don't know. I don't know if he was, but he's certainly quoting within three chapters from Deuteronomy. He certainly knows the passages. He certainly knows them well enough that he's quoting them. And we pause here just to think for a minute, if we're trying to imitate Jesus and and follow his model, are we to know scripture and be able to quote some of it the way he does? And then we move on from there. We continue to just look at Jesus's model and his interaction with scripture a little bit. Because the next thing we get after this is in Nazareth, where Jesus goes into the synagogue and they have him read. And he's going to be sort of the teacher at this moment. And he unrolls the scroll and he reads from Isaiah. And it's this powerful passage that we see repeated in Luke 4 as he starts this ministry. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolls up the scroll and he sits down as a teacher would have done at that time. And the eyes of the whole synagogue are on him. And Jesus says, um, today the scripture has been fulfilled and you're hearing this. This idea that that is how he's going to begin it all, by quoting this passage from Isaiah and saying that it's been fulfilled. And there are lots of people who read this who say, Jesus starts all this by giving his mission statement. Luke 4, where he repeats that Isaiah passage, that's his mission statement. And I say all that, that's its own sermon, but I say all that just to look at the role of Scripture that Jesus has right at this moment. And of course, the way Jesus is handling Scripture, it's the Old Testament, but our understanding today is that God raised up the church, led it by the Holy Spirit to bring in these other sacred writings to make the whole Bible, to learn Jesus is ways and truths and teachings in the early church and all this brought into the same place. And so we end up there. And I want to give one more thought about how much knowledge Jesus has of the sacred writings, because you get this final story after Jesus is resurrected and all this on the road to Emmaus, right? Because he, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus and he has this encounter with the disciples who are heading that way. And the disciples are kind of like going after him a little bit, like, because he's like, "What? what's going on? What's the big news? And they're like, what's wrong with you? You're Like, are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the stuff that's happened? How, you know, what's going to go on and all this? And then Jesus picks it up, right? And he says to them, um, Jesus picks it up. He says, oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? and then enter into his glory. Then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. I imagine Jesus starts with Moses and he walks through all of salvation history from the sacred scriptures talking about him. Such that they they suddenly are going to have this big moment. They're going to run back to Jerusalem basically because he's going to open it all up for them. That's what Jesus that's the way Jesus knows scripture. That's how he's handling scripture. And I think for us, this first point is, he's our ultimate teacher. He's our ultimate model. He knows all this scripture. He quotes scripture. He reads scripture. He clearly meditates on scripture. There's a call on that for us if we're going to be disciples. To do, to do the same, to do that. And there, there are lots of roles. I, you know, I'll, I'll shift and say that there are lots of roles for Scripture, right? Many different roles about how Scripture is used in the life of a disciple. And I think about the most um, sort of classic passage on that is where Paul is writing to one of his disciples, really, in Timothy. This is from 2 Timothy, and this is what he says. He says, But as for you, continue what you've learned, And firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. How from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Scripture has a lots of different roles in the life of a disciple. It's meant to form us, it's meant to teach us, it's meant to correct us, it's meant to train us. It's all these different things, and there's a whole big sermon or sermon series right there, but I've been reminded that the cowboys are at noon today, so we're we're going to walk by that sermon and keep going and so that so that it we, we are engaged in Scripture as disciples because Jesus modeled it. We engage with Scripture because it has all these functional things it does for us. But the final thing I want to talk about um, this morning is this dynamic place of Scripture. Because God calls us not just to have head knowledge, but to be in a, in a relationship with Him, in some kind of dynamic thing. And God uses Scripture in that relationship to to communicate with us. I'm going to just say it that way. And I think about that. Every time I think about that, I think about um, the Book of Common Prayer. If you go to the back of it where there's the catechism, the outline of the faith, and we get to this one section that's called the Holy Scriptures, and there's this one Q&A where it says this. What do we call the Holy Script? Why do we call the Holy Scriptures the Word of God? Answer? We call them the Word of God because they're inspired. God inspired their human authors. And because God still speaks to us through the Bible. Because God still speaks to us through the Bible. There's this dynamic aspect of the Bible. And we can choose not to read it. But if we want to have a dynamic communication with God, that's going to be part of what we do. That's going to be another reason that we do it. It will change you. When God speaks, it will change you. And he's speaking all the time through this. I know for me, I've told this story before, but the season of most growth for me, oddly enough, some will say, was in college. But it's the first time I read the New Testament cover to cover. And the semester I did that is probably the single biggest point of, in life where I, where I grew the most. Because everything was dynamic. And I was hearing God's voice in so many ways. That's the way it is. And scripture itself gives testimony to this in lots of different ways. I was thinking about one example of this. Listen to how the psalmist in Psalm 19 talks about some of these things. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold and even fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. People say all these wonderful things because there is a very real sense in which we encounter God through Scripture. I'm going to read one more passage. This is Paul writing to the Colossians. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. With gratitude in your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. We're reminded that maybe our call is not just to read, but to meditate. And maybe not just to meditate, but to memorize. And next week, we're going to talk about service the role of service with a disciple. But I think Scripture, as it forms us, leads us out into the world. As we engage in Scripture, it does all these things inside of us. And I was thinking about an example of this. Last year, I watched this movie, Harriet. I don't know if you saw it. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or not, but it's a great movie, 2019. It was was about Harriet Tubman. And if you know her story, she's born in the 1820s. She's born into slavery. In um, the late 1840s, she escapes, and she goes to the north, and then she experiences her call to go help others, and she keeps coming back and leading people. Her code name and all this is Moses. She's going to lead people to freedom. And when the Civil War starts, she becomes a spy, scouting out territory and doing things in the north. She has all of this. But the piece about it that interests me when you read about her is the vital role that faith played for her. And her meditating on scripture. And I was just reading on this. Let me read what one writer says. He says, A devout follower of Christ, Tubman spent much time learning, memorizing, and meditating on various verses in the Bible, such as her beloved Isaiah 16:3. Hide the fugitives, do not betray the refugees. As she pondered the passages, she turned them into prayers. And in prayer, she learned to practice God's presence. I prayed all the time, she told her biographer, about my work everywhere. I was always talking to the Lord. When I went to the horse trough to wash my face and took up the water in my hands, I said, O Lord, wash me, make me clean. When I took up the towel to wipe my face and hands, I cried, O Lord, for Jesus' sake, wipe away all my sins. When I took up the broom and began to sweep, I groaned, O Lord, Whatsoever sin there be in my heart, sweep it out. Lord, clear and clean. Scripture changes us. I think it pulls us into the world and lots of it does so many things as we engage it. Last week, I had a, a prisoner write an email to me about a sermon where I'd mentioned Psalm 23. And she mentioned that when she was in second grade, her teachers had her memorize it. And she would say it from time to time along in life but a few years ago when she got cancer she said that as she faced chemo and surgery and radiation she would say this psalm 12 times a day and what peace it brought and what a sense of God's presence it would bring and that's what I, there's this dynamic thing about scripture and, and we're just letting it sit there if we don't read it and engage it so I think that's part of what we do as a disciple I want to um conclude today by just encouraging you to think about your role with Scripture. And if you're not reading it, why not pray and consider about doing that, taking something on? Maybe a psalm. Read one psalm a day. If you're not reading it, maybe read um, half a chapter of one of the gospels each day and, and see what it does. See where, where, what it does in your relationship with God and as your walk as a disciple. And if you're already doing that, or if, and even if you're not, what about maybe picking just a couple verses to think about memorizing? You can write this on a card and put it with your toothbrush. Just look at it while you're brushing your teeth during the week, and you'll memorize it because God can use it. Many years ago, I had the occasion to have coffee one-on-one with the Bishop of London, And uh, the Bishop of London, at the time, he was speaking at the School of Theology that I was helping with. And he came back out after our break, and he told these 90 students, Memorize as much Scripture as you can. Because it becomes something the Holy Spirit can bring back to your mind and use at different times. So he was laying it down. Memorize some Scripture. Certainly Jesus did when he quotes back to the tempter on this day. And I think the Holy Spirit will lead us in those kinds of ways. Do you want to grow as a mature disciple? Do you want to learn the rhythms of grace and growth? If you do, I can guarantee you that one of those practices, one of those ways that's going to be involved in that is to engage scripture and to make it part of your daily routine and what you do and how you get fed. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us that you've always loved us. And we thank you that it doesn't matter what we do, that you love us just the way we are. We can earn nothing of your love, that your grace just surrounds us. But we thank you also, Lord, that as you love us and call us, you invite us to a journey. We thank you for this love letter that you've given us in Scripture and this way to know you. By your grace, with your strength, help us to read it and find you in it, that we can be a blessing in the world.